My guest today, Richard, is a licensed psychologist. Uh, he's an author, a book called The Zero Method. He's a podcast host. Um, and interestingly, he spent a lot of time working with community leaders and the LAPD on Skid Row uh, in Los Angeles to save hundreds of lives on the brink of suicide. And he now works in his own private practice with men, women, athletes, teens, trauma victims, all different people. Um, frankly, just trying to help them figure out life, <laughs> simply put. And through all these experiences, um, through the work he's done, the people he's worked with, Richard has identified connectivity uh, with other people as the most important value in his life. He believes that human connection allows us to experience life in a much deeper and fuller way, which kind of makes sense. And we talked about it on the show, like there, there's a trust, there's an emotional alignment that comes with true connection that allows you to feel more free and open. And that allows for that deeper, fuller experience of life. Um, as often happens on this show, though, I spent a good bit of the episode playing the cynic. Um, and it's actually because I do believe, although it took me a while to get there in my own life, that human connection does significantly improve our lives. But it, but it just logically begs the question, then, why don't we do more of it? And we all know kind of the service level answers, right? All technology and our phones and life is just too busy and there's too much pressure to achieve things and, and get all this stuff done. But again, if human connection is really as valuable as we say it is, why is it so hard for us to realize that? Are we just too self-involved? Are we too lazy? Are we too jaded on life? Um, so it was really interesting to hear some of Richard's ideas and insights on, on these kind of questions and this, this kind of thread of, of thinking. Um, and towards the end of the conversation, we landed on this concept of acceptance. We talked about how important it is to accept the, at times, inconvenient, reality of life, which is that we have to be somewhat selfish. We might all aspire to, to connect more with other people and help other people and, and serve other people more. Um, and that's a good thing, right? To have that, to have that aspiration. But the truth is there's a limit. It takes a lot of energy and vulnerability and humility and lots of other things to truly connect with people. So as much as we don't love to be these amazing people who find time to do it as much as possible, we just can't. We have to accept the fact that our own selfish needs require us to stop worrying about other people, to stop thinking about connecting with other people and just focus on ourselves sometimes. And that can be a really hard thing to accept <laughs> that, that's, that that's a reality, that as good of a people as we think we are or wanna be, sometimes we just have to be selfish. Um, so really interesting conversation, really interesting threads that we went down. And big thanks to Richard for, for being on and kind of sharing his experience and insight. And with that, let's get to the episode. All right, Richard, thanks so much for being on. Really, really appreciate it uh, and excited to talk to you today, a fellow New Yorker. Um, so I will get right to the question um, that I always start with, which is what's the value that's most important to you? Terry, thanks for leading with that. And, and I love it that you start with that because it forces us to go through kind of an inventory. But I would say for me, the main one, if there's one at the top of the pyramid, it's connectivity. Hmm. Interesting. That, that everything in my life, when it's led from a place of human connection, when it involves getting past my brain, hmm. seems to open up to a much deeper thing, hmm. a deeper way of living, a funner way of living, a more playful way of living. And, uh, you know, you mentioned our connection to New York, everything from growing up on the kindergartens scene of New York City, I was just attuned to so much difference. Um, the, the creativity of spirit of different walks of life, culture, food, smells, sights. So all of that, I think, is the most important value for getting to a place of healing, health and, um, you know, mental wellness. Mm. So you started to touch on it. I'm going to press on it a little bit of what kind of underpins that, why that value sits atop the pyramid, right? What's what's the mechanics, whatever you want to say, like what makes it where connectivity, human connection makes you feel like, yeah, that's what it's about. That's what I need. And I think you started to touch on it with having that connection exposes you to more things, different cultures, different foods, different things. And, and there's a fuller life perhaps, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like what is that? If you follow that thread through, what is it about human connection, connectivity that you feel like brings you your optimal life? I think that there's, you know, there's a couple of different ways to answer this, but the the most basic thing, you know, is my imagery even started to go towards like kindergarten and, and it is play, right? That so much of being a man to me with, or my culture was get an advanced degree and professionalism. And then it's about status and 
It's about you have to achieve a certain amount to belong and all these very heady constructs, which motivated me, you know, through 30 plus years of my life. And at times felt very isolative and felt they did, they didn't necessarily lead to more happiness. You get it, you get, you get more money, but it doesn't necessarily last. Or I could be in New York city amongst millions of people and not feel connected at all. So I think there's an element of, you know, like you and I did the first few minutes, smiling, engaging, mm-hmm. laughing, relatability, orientation, right? When I get a sense that, that you have an interest in something similar, or I understand where that comes from, we can un- have a sense of understanding of one another. Or instantaneously, my nervous system drops. Mm-hmm. I feel safer. I feel we can connect deeper, you know, if this is about depth of, of understanding and relationships. So I think, feeling that little simple, most basic common denominator of connection can open up to so much more feeling and, and the positive emotions. If there is an antidote to depression, which has certainly been in my family. I think it's, it's these little moments of joy, right? Mm-hmm. These little moments of being like you sharing a, a LA Long Island Railroad train ride, you know, mm-hmm. getting the uh, coffee and croissant at the cart on the corner of <laughs> 33rd and <laughs> and Broadway or sure. 6th, wherever, wherever Penn Station is, right? These little moments that those are the memories, right? And had nothing to do really with whether or not I was uh, my status or uh, other things that I was checking boxes on. Mm. Um, it's a great answer. It's a great answer because um, it's real, obviously, from, from what I can tell. And it, it, it makes sense in some ways, right? Like, obviously, the, the memory part of it, I think that's true. And a lot of people don't always follow it but they understand that idea that when they look back it is the experiences the connections that but I think what you said there too that's really interesting that maybe I hadn't thought of before is stick with that word mechanical there is a mechanical nature of it where by you and I connecting it does allow you to be freer it does allow you to be more open for us to share things in a way that we didn't before um which which very directly improves your life it it puts you more at ease it makes you more comfortable it allows you to have other relationships and experiences allows you to do so many more things so there is a true function to it it's not just like this abstract concept which i think sometimes people think about it like that like oh yeah everybody says human connection is important and all that but it's understanding like what, what really sits underneath that and when we think about it it's i think for a lot of people that might help them realize like oh maybe i should value that more like maybe that is something that's missing in my life which leads me to my question. I'm curious, do you think that's a universal truth? Do you think that's objective that for all of us, maybe it doesn't have to necessarily be the top value, but all of us benefit from that connectivity, from what you're explaining there? Or do you think there's some people that say like, not for me, for me, I'd rather be in New York City alone among those million people. And that's where my best place is. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hear the critic's voice, right? I think a lot of clients come to me and they reach out, they feel something has triggered the need for offering a handout and go, hey, like I've hit maximum or the events the last few years or whatever is the straw has hit my level of I can only carry so much water. And then we get into a few sessions and we have a similar conversation. We talk about connectivity and play and slowing down and they go, you don't work in the industry. I do, buddy. (laughs) You don't know what my life is like. You don't know the speed of and, and, and there is a certain amount of truth to universal, the speed of society, the speed of information, the, the availability of, inf- of our devices and work to be able to find us at every hour of the day or our ability to work, you know, in Japan and Tokyo and, and still be sitting where you and I are sitting. Mm-hmm. So there's phenomenal change. And, and, and there are those that are pioneers in those uh, industries that I would never want to take away what you're able to accomplish in being a high performer. At the same degree, I think that even those probably who are at the tops of industries, why do we see so many, what they call, you know, not to get too dark, but deaths of despair, right? The silent things, the depression, the anxiety, the alcohol and substance abuse, which just recently seen the statistics in the last 20 years, let alone the last two years are off the charts. So, so, if we're not really being honest with ourselves, right, that we're feeling something's missing, I think the problem becomes for grown men like you or I, well, how do I get that? I'm not in the kindergarten class anymore. I'm not in the playground, you know, Mm -hmm. Richard. So where do I find place? So I think it's the skill of learning how to kind of, what I call hitting the pause button, a little bit of where do you find these moments? And whether it be like you and I may do by watching a jet game with the friends or giants, 
you know, not a lot of peace in watching those, but <laughs> there's not, there's not, but what there is, right? Like we, I've gotten used to losing years, you've gotten <laughs> used to losing years, but there's still the moments when, when you let go of winning and losing, you know, the fact that my son has never spent more than, uh, he has never spent a day in New York and yet he walks around proudly wearing the hat and, and loving the same players. It's something internal. It's Maybe. something my, it means something because it means, he likes or understands it's important to me. Mm. So play may be right. If I take you to your favorite restaurant or, or, or go where you go, I know that that is a way of stepping into what brings your nervous system, a sense of happiness. Mm. Yeah, so, it, so, yeah. it makes me think of a, a silly example. That's, that's the truth. So I'm not going to be embarrassed to say, it, but it's the truth. So I, I play fantasy football. I played for a long time. I have a group of friends from high school that we've played, you know, for, forever. And for most of that time, um, I took it super serious. I wanted to win because it's bragging rights and it's fun and, you know, it's all that. And I'm competitive by nature. And only over the last few years, no coincidence, since I started doing this podcast and trying to think about exactly the things you're thinking about, understand myself better. I've taken it way less seriously. I still want to win, but I take it way less seriously. And in the spirit of what you're saying, like that pause button, and even in that, to say rather than just constantly sprinting of as stupid as it sounds, trying to find the best players and to make all the right moves. Now I'm just like, ah, it's just fun. I'm just having a good time with it. And it sounds so stupid and cliched and all the things, but it's so true. Like I feel it viscerally as I tell the story, like how much happier I am and more at peace with it in that. And obviously that's such a silly, simple example. But if you think about that at scale and bigger things, more important things, the ability to do that, um, it brings a lot of benefit. There's a lot of benefit. It's hard. It's hard to do, but it brings a lot of benefit. Well, you raise a good point. It's like, what what game are we playing, right? Are we playing the game of life where it's, I understand that for my own personal wellness, growth, sense of well-being, feeling connected, and assuming it's a healthy group of friends, yeah. and even that, even that, I help my clients look at, are you, are you the healthiest version of you? Because I used to feel like, oh, high school friends, you know, he's into this, he's into that, we moved away. And when it comes down to, right, do we care about each other? Am I putting enough care into those relationships? Do I check in with them and see how their mental health is, how their family's health is? When I upped my own inner game about what I want the relationship to be about, you get some information from people you meet. Oh, they're willing to receive my outstretched hand, right? And sometimes the conversation will be about fantasy football on the waiver wire. And sometimes it'll be about concerns. And, and I'm okay with that because I understand that knowing that that connectivity is there means I don't have to feel alone and they don't have to feel alone. Mm. And even the knowledge, you know, we've been through things the last few years. You know, I got COVID at one point. We've had family health issues. We've had ups and downs in business through COVID. So knowing that there's this consistent thread of um, connection, community, togetherness, uh, I think is a big antidote, particularly for men. Uh, you know, historically women are better at being social and hanging in groups, mm. you know, that, that we don't have to carry, men traditionally carry all the weight, hold on to it, and they, and they don't feel they, they are allowed to tell other people because it's in the provider role mm. to, to keep it all together and keep chopping wood. And so I try and you know, part of the play is breaking down this sense amongst others that we have to always have the guard up. Hmm. So it's paradoxical, right? Like we're afraid if we let down the guard, we'll stop doing our jobs well. But really, we need to connect in order to have to do our jobs refreshed. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep how do you keep providing and going to battle if you don't feel like you've had a feast and you've rested? You know, so well, it, I, I that part of the show, we get philosophical at times. And, and I probably use that word incorrectly sometimes. By that, I, I mean, like, let's zoom out and understand, like, what, what are we actually saying? What, what can we pull out of this? What are the implications that are maybe truths about human nature or society, um, you know, based on what the logic is telling us? And, and I think that can be a difficult thing to do sometimes because sometimes you, you run into inconvenient truths. And I, and I wonder if this is one of those examples where in 2022, the, the, the world we live in is very fast paced. You said you have a lot of clients like that. There's so much going on, so much we need to do. Um, should we all like, are we doing it wrong? Let me put it bluntly and simply, which I know is way over generalizing and making something objective that's not objective. But 
is it fair to say like as a society we're just getting it wrong and we need to fix it right because a lot of people want to say like oh, no, no no we're not getting it wrong like it's just the world we live in it's just if you take little steps to try and improve and maybe that's true but maybe it's not maybe we're actually just doing it wrong and we do all need to pause and and you mentioned this you know the example of friends of reaching out to friends and as you're saying that i'm thinking like when's the last time i did that and now i could very easily excuse myself and say well i'm so busy though i have a son i have a wife she has some health issues work's going on so it's just unrealistic to expect that but am I just giving myself an out where if we're really being honest with ourselves, we're being philosophical, we've become shitty people. We've become disconnected and we've forgiven ourselves for it when we shouldn't. Yeah, it, and, and thank you for, for that, that honesty and vulnerability and expressing that to me, right? Even that offering brings closeness when we meet, when we meet strangers. We, we know something, COVID gave us this opportunity, our neighbors. I didn't even know my neighbors in Los Angeles. It's not, you know, uh, so knowing things about them, knowing that one of my neighbors had a wife with cancer. So we didn't even have to interact necessarily, but I was aware in a heightened level about that he was going through something, you know, and occasionally we try and bring brownies or something. So sometimes being in relationship doesn't mean frequency of contact. It could mean, right, that you're keeping someone your thoughts or when you do see them, the way in which you hold space for them. So I do think this is kind of the common, I don't want to say it's getting it wrong, but it is one of the common trappings of at least American society, right, is that we're in our homes, we're with our families, and then even the way we deal with health. You mentioned it, right? A lot of families complain about the mental health system. Well, you take your someone to the psychiatrist and they give you medication. Well, you know, we're looking at that and the research is saying, but that's not a healing. How is that ever going to help the person get back to a place of wellness if they don't know how to be in society, mm. if they don't ever get to learn feedback from community of, you know, boundaries and, hey, that's inappropriate, but we still don't reject you. Mm. We don't just shuttle you off and hide you. Mm. So there's a lot of programs out there that are trying more integration. So I think it, it's, it is a challenge. We would say like the challenge of all the technology, all the speed, all the abundance is that there's a sense of disconnection that can be there. Um, so finding little ways to bring community into our life might be, and sometimes that starts with one friend, one neighbor. I got invited to one neighbor's house for lunch after two years of COVID. And I was like, we couldn't even make it until an hour later. I was like, we have to go. We have to go just to, smile at them and say thank you and just it was it was amazing they asked questions of, of my children they got to know them the kids dropped their devices for a minute they felt that they were meeting some trusted adults it's like all the chemicals and neurons start to happen internally and i'm sure you've gotten this look you could be at a football game you could be at a tailgate i think smiling at someone there's little ways in which it doesn't have to be a deep it's paradoxical. It doesn't have to be a deep, meaningful connection, but by taking those small actions or those small habits, it starts to unlock something within you, right? So the people you see on the train every day in New York, right? Like there's a certain sense of control we can have over, can we establish these relationships, even with just the people that are in our daily lives? Well, does it beg the question though, then why, why? I know we've touched on some of it, yeah. Why, why don't we do it then, right like why why are we so bad at doing it maybe not all of us but at scale why do we seemingly need to be so like have such a concerted effort to do it and i know we're busy right and and but i feel like there's a deeper level to that which again philosophically somebody can make the argument that says we're all kind of inherently selfish and we all kind of think about ourselves and we're thinking about what's best for us and although in a weird way if we did this it would benefit us. So it still ties to the selfishness, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a step removed. So our first inclination is to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to smile at the person on the train. I'm not going to have these connections because at the end of the day, it's about me. And that's just how we're wired as humans. And that's what we're about. And I know we need to interconnect and we need, but like, what do you say to that? Is that, is that a cynical view that's not actually accurate to what humans are? Or again, is that one of those truths that we don't want to face, but it seems like evidence would suggest it's true. You're probably right, and I, and, I, and I try and take a compassionate, empathetic view of uh, humanity and where we've arrived rather than cynical because, um, yeah, we understand the conditions, right? We understand the conditions of, like, you have a device. I check my fantasy lineup first thing in the morning. I haven't even checked my thoughts. I haven't even made sure I'm breathing appropriately most days, and I know this. I have advanced degrees. I have plenty of training resources and a roof over my head. 
So you look at those who have anything less than that, you go, wow. Like, so the device, you know, and we look at what these devices have, and apps and what they give us, right? It is creating a neurochemical reaction. The more we understand about technology, the more we understand about even your email. Uh, so you're getting something. We're getting, but what we're getting is more instantaneous. And uh, I think the fear is without stepping back and looking at that objectively or looking with that patterns that creates in our children is, as they, right, I have, I have a 19 year old and I have a 13 year old. The 19 year old grew up without the uh, uh, iTunes, without the, uh, you know, without the iPad, right? So very different. It's like different cultures when we sit and have discussions at the mm -hmm. table, right? So having a device at all times, it's incredible. Like their schools, they've been able to have smart classes with students from China. Like the potential is, is crazy with technology. So I, they both reap the benefit and have awareness uh, about how to use apps and devices and spreadsheets and things that I still am struggling with how to make an Excel column, you know, I'm embarrassed on my next job interview. Don't tell anybody, Terry, <laughs> right? So I think that like you're talking about, we're driven to get our needs met. We do have to survive and we can get in that survival mentality of, I just got to get to my work. I got to get through my day. Um, and right, there's always more, there's always more we're needing. Um, so there's a lot of pressure there to yeah, maintain- yeah. Some of those devices or or those emails, some of those things. Again, I'll, I'll take I'll say it in a cynical way, but you're right. There's a lot of beautiful things that come from it too. They're they're intended to exploit that 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 need we have. There's certain things we need, and it's giving to us in in seemingly the most efficient, direct way that it can. And it's like, oh, okay, this is easy, and it makes because I, I guess human connection it can be hard, right? Because it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of considering somebody else. Sometimes it takes some vulnerability, right? It takes some openness, some humility, all those things. And I think on a day-by-day -day basis, when we're moving so quick and we have to make that snap decision of like, okay, how do I want to get my fix today? Do I want to do the harder part and connect with somebody and be vulnerable? Or do I want to just pick up my phone and look at that? It's so easy for us to just say, I'll go that route. And then the day gets away from us and then the week, the month, the year. And then all of a sudden we kind of lose touch with all of it. And again, I guess it comes back to your point, that pause, that pause to at least step back and look and be like, am I okay with where this is right now? That becomes the key to it, really. Yeah, you've said something really key there. And I'll give a shameless plug to uh, The Zero Method, my new book, yeah. Yeah. which is something I discovered, you know, as a mental health provider, after years of doing the right thing, getting what I thought was the PhD in the red sports car and a belief that, that I had to have those things to be worthy or to even be in a relationship. And I have no idea where that came from, mm. you know, uh, certainly coming from Long Island, New York, I felt like you had to be a stockbroker and take a train to New York or, or you were not as good. I mean, that was environmental. So, um, but when you get past some of those, those beliefs, uh, and, and I got there and, and I was on Skid Row and I was working 60 hours a week and unlimited overtime. And yet I was never more depressed or unhealthy physically. And when you, and I got the feedback, right? You talk about having a child. I asked my daughter at school, what does your daddy do? And she said, he works a day and at night and barely even sleeps. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I said, so some people need this kind of moment because having this objective conversation, yeah, I should check my phone less, Terry. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah, you're right. I'd probably check refresh. Like it's, we're not even conscious. We're not even conscious of how much time we're spending on the things that pull our mind away from ourselves, or maybe we are, but the addictions are there, right? Like <laughs> there's that funny fantasy football commercial, like about a couple's therapy, you know, where the wife's <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the guy's complaining, it's every night, it's <laughs> no, right. So like even the fun things can, can we're, if we're not monitoring for ourselves and checking in with ourselves regularly, it's hard to know when it's subtly becoming avoidance which is what you're talking about. on a day-to-day -day level it's subtle you know uh and for my dad i knew friday night when he came home from new york city and took off the time he sat down and he had an idea about going to do something in community i could tell him he got excited but he was also tired and he loved my mom's cooking and for all the right reasons we mostly stayed home hmm. and do, do i understand it that i pick up his excitement i carried his excitement forward because i saw he desperately needed that when things got tough he never he hadn't he hadn't gone out and gotten it so he didn't know how to he didn't know how to draw upon the well that he hadn't gotten and at mm -hmm. least visited once so whatever that may be it's very different 
right? Some people love nature. Some people love getting on a bike. Some people love going to the, you know, uh, rifle range, whatever it is for you. Uh, the, for me, it was the Ramapo Mountains in New Jersey or Hempstead Lake State Park, right? You could just go sit and read with a book. So if you have nature nearby, nature will always help you settle your nervous system and calm your thoughts. So the first relationship we have to be in, whether we're a grown adult or whether we're teaching this to our own children, at the same time, we're learning this kind of parallel process. Mm -hmm. We need to be in relationship to ourselves, to our thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you ask the question of value. How do we even know what we value? How do we know what resonates with us if we're not kind of paying attention and going wow when I sat with Terry I felt connection I felt engaged and I want to do that again mm -hmm. so it's reinforcing in the same way that some of these other things we do is reinforcing but it's reinforcing in a way that feeds to our values that feeds mm -hmm. to our longer term happiness and I'm interested in that because that feeds into the values of longevity health so, you know, when you get this experience of, uh, you know, wisdom, right, you don't tell this to, uh, you know, probably someone they're 17 to early 20s when they're, they're, you know, they're, they're feeling these impulses and they're feeling the excitement of everything they're getting. It's going to be hard. So, but the sooner we can get into practices that feed our long-term health, I think uh, it's going to feed us in a way that we can, we can spread it in our family. And then we're going to feel a different type of calmness a different type of satisfaction with our lives mm. that are that isn't as dependent on quick hits mm. yeah it makes me think as you were saying that of the um i think it's a socrates quote that the unexamined life isn't worth living and and the way i always interpreted that i think is very much in the way that you're saying it like quite literal like if you're not examining your life if you don't know who you are and what you value and what matters to you and what lights you up and like you're literally just guessing through life and like what's the point then like like you have to be thinking about those things if you want to have the best life you can have or a good life or whatever you want to call it. And it makes me think of that. Um, I guess we've touched on it a couple of times, right? Cynicism versus optimism on this. And obviously you've written the book, the work you do. I think you have an optimistic view of as a society at scale, we can do some of these things. We can get people to start to embrace the relationship with themselves, even some of the things around nature and that. Where does that optimism come from? Do you think it's, I guess I'll ask the, the simple punt question, like, do you think it's idealistic that you're optimistic about that? Is that more of an aspiration? Or do you actually think there's a belief, like, no, no, I see a path here, but we can get there. Wow. Good, tough, good, tough question. I mean, I think psychologists in general, uh, you know, believe in resiliency and hope, core values. Uh, I mean, it also comes from understanding and, and study, right? When you look at the history of those who have survived tremendously difficult times and found that the way in which they survived or learned to, the, the ones who survived us, the ones who didn't, were the ones who were able to find something bigger or to find whether that be called love or spirit or laughter or to learn to even connect with your enemy. So some of this comes from, you know, martial arts, you know, spirit and um, I've been to the Shaolin Temple. I've been to, to China. I've seen the monks who survived with relatively little. So when, when you know, the, the advantage of seeing these ways of living is you get to experience, wow, right? What it's like to make somebody special, what it's like to be unique. And you do get to have a cross-section of like, what do they have that we don't? We have, you know, they're living in the same clothing, you know, uh, just day in, day out, repeating the same thing over and over. And yet, you know, they're artists. So uh, I do think it draws from inspiration. So, uh, you know, sorry if I tangent, tangential a little bit, but I think that I've seen capacity. I get to experience the gift of being a therapist or coach is that I get to see change over time. And I believe very much, just as uh, my father did in the, in the field of psychology, he wasn't a trained psychologist. He didn't have a college degree. And yet when he sat and listened to people, I could tell they knew he cared. And a lot of my friends came to my house. My house was a gathering place. So I, I didn't even notice this until much later. But looking back in my mind's eye in my quiet time, I look at the gifts and that's a gift, unfortunately, we get when we lose somebody. You get to see what happened in the relationship. And I got to reflect upon, wow, people... My friends who were teenagers like coming over and talking to my father. Well, why? Because they felt understood. They felt heard. So I think there's something that happens 
through our work as podcasts and telling stories. I think there's something that happens in the therapy room or whether you have a coach or a friend, somebody who sees you beyond whatever else you're doing, whether you're having tremendous highs or tremendous lows, the power of that relationship and that accountability. So you said it right for you. Maybe it's one friend I can call once a week and be like, man, today was particularly rough. Just knowing you have that valve, it relieves the pressure so much emotional things of I've got to keep all this and I've got to manage and contain it. And I think just that message in itself um, is inspiring to me. The fact that we can create, that we can inspire, we can love, we can heal uh, one another. Um, so, and I've seen it, right? I've seen people that I met that were co-soccer coaches all of a sudden when, when I lost my business, then offering me jobs or offering to loan me money. I barely knew them. But but their their heart told them that they could be charitable to me. Mm. So then, it, right? So then I got to overcome me need need from somebody else. Let somebody else help me. So the willingness to be vulnerable, to look at ourselves and see where are we, you know, constantly. Is there a place where we could give more? Is there a place where I need a mentor? Do I need a lot of my clients? They don't they don't know what hobby they would need. They don't know where they would reach out to even begin to start to play to start to connect as adults. Because I think it's equally as important, right? Particularly when you get to middle age and you're carrying family and work, we still need to remember that we're still integrated that part of ourselves that needs needs these same very basic core elements. So I'm in, I'm inspired. I'm hopeful because I think that that is the power of technology. You can access a meetup group online. You can find things uh, if you're willing to to look at it. Um, you can connect with people across mm -hmm. the globe so there so there are some powerful tools if we use them for our benefit yeah. and we monitor them yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think i agree with that it made me think of another maybe philosophical question and i, I promise i'm not as cynical as i sound although maybe, <laughs> maybe i just don't admit it but so back to the friend example because i obviously that's one that i mentioned so it's in my head and i'm thinking about it and as you referenced it i can't help but think for myself and i would imagine there's some people listening who, who run into this trap where they say all right you know, I hear everything you're saying, I get it, it makes sense, I understand the benefits. It's hard though, right? And one of the reasons it's hard is, so let's say I did that. I said, all right, I'm gonna call one of those friends today. I'm gonna check in on them. At least the way my mind works, and maybe this is reflective of just me, is I start to think about that and I say, well, I, I have a lot of friends and, and maybe all of them are suffering. I called just this one and I kind of checked the box for me to make myself feel better, but am I really doing a good thing? And then you start going even more and you're like, think about the world and how many people are suffering. Like it almost becomes overwhelming to think if I'm really going to be honest with myself and do this right, it's such a level of commitment and effort to try and do that. That's almost impossible to do. So by me just calling that one friend, I'm just making myself feel better. And it's just kind of just that. Now I get the other side of that. Somebody would say, we only can do what we can do. If you help that one person, there's something worth it. But on a very kind of like macro meta level, I could see some people taking the argument of like, it's not going to really make a difference though. It's really not worth it. It's not what it's really, you know, so I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. That's I mean, you're right kind response. of touching on the root of cynicism or optimism, pessimism. And sure. And I, I'd say that I definitely come from practices or beliefs, which are right. First of all, if you want to start something new, we start today. And, mm -hmm. and if we start today, what we don't understand, see, this is a phenomenon. We only focus on about, change when you ask people about their ability to change we our brain only remembers backwards mm -hmm. so we know that we did you'll tell me i do remember last year richard i lost 10 pounds or i do remember i took a course and i felt better and i learned this but when you ask someone about their ability to change going forward they usually don't believe they can maintain that change because we that we can't see forward so but but if we show them evidence look at what you've done so is it pessimism is it just you know that we don't want to trust our own unique capacity or tap into it daily right or make space for it to see it to experience it so that's on the individual level that we have this kind of neurological block based on our our memories and the way in which we view our self-identity this is a construct the other thing that you're talking about right i mean we can we we start to feel helpless by the the you know, the, the incredible size of it all, right? The if magnitude. we look at the numbers, the magnitude, thank you. When we look at the size, it is easy to get defeated and helpless and hopeless. I think it's a natural reaction if we're in tune with what's going on. Um, 
However, you know, change starts with us is where, you know, I try and work with clients around. I found organizations that I think are positive. So, right. Can you take away, I work with trauma. I work with grief. Can you, you can't take away the events. You can't take away the experience of that individual. So, but to say it's hopeless, some of the people who've been through, like I mentioned, Victor Frankel, who was there knowing that if he put down the shovel and fell over and got out of exhaustion in the cold, he was getting shot. Mm -hmm. And maybe the people digging holes with him. So he had to find something within him, a belief, something to live for. So whether it be hanging to one belief or whether it be just the power of I can help one person out. And in Viktor Frankl's case, it was I'm going to care about the guard who's the enemy. I'm, I'm going to find a way to connect even to those who I feel are really different than me or could be part of the problem. Because in this relationship, maybe I can start the beginnings of change. So there is a self-empowerment perspective here. There is a belief that we can, you know, the butterfly flapping the wings, we can be the change. We can begin to send the ripple effects outward in our, in our own neurochemical system, just from our beliefs and just our thoughts, right? I'm studying a book about the things you say to yourself before you go to sleep hmm. about your sleep. Like we, if we tell ourselves, ah, oh, you're going to get another shitty night's sleep. Sorry, my language, right? Ah, oh, there it goes again. Oh, it's only, look at the clock. I only got six hours. There we go again. You're feeding yourself information. It's not just an app technology. It's all, It's also the way we process our own thoughts. And we're not always conscious of the things we're saying. Or we say, yeah, why am I going to call Joey again? He's just going to complain. So we could decide about people and, and make judgments where we start to feel disempowered. On the other hand, I hear what you're saying. If your group, if you feel those you're connecting to don't want to change, uh, there may be an element of shifting strategically. Maybe it's better to go and give once a week to an organization that gives back to, to those who really want to receive than to keep giving to your friends who they're just like, yeah, whatever, Just I want to just stay in my misery and have you as a witness. So there is something, I think, strategic to where are we putting our time? Are we really examining how we're spending our time? Are we looking for ways in which we're inspired to make a difference? Mm. Um, it's, it's, so I, I say this not yeah. in the way it makes, I, I buy that. I mean that literally. I think what you're saying is, is a right and good response to that. I want to press on it though a little bit, like quite sure. literally, though, right? Like, and see where it goes. I don't know where it goes, what the implication is, but Let's take the individual level, right? So call a friend, whatever it is, that one act of, hey, I should do that because it's going to connect, it's going to help somebody. Isn't, isn't the logic though there that I know I could call a second friend or I could do something else. And if I don't do that, I should feel bad about myself because I know the positive it brings. I know I'm capable of doing it. And, and that's where like, quite literally, it starts to feel like, well, where, where do I draw the line then, right? Like, Sure, it seems logically like I should call that one friend because that's a good thing and I could do it and I should just make that effort and, and do it, right? But where where do, where then does it does it stop? Where do I say, because that's where the guilt would come in for somebody like me, where I'd say like, well, I called my friend, maybe I even called three friends, but I have a cousin too and I haven't checked in on him in a while. And it's very easy to start to, to think of it through the lens of like, I'm never going to be able to do this at the level that actually makes sense. And it's... It's almost like I should feel bad about that, but I don't want to. Therefore, I won't even call that one friend. If I call that one friend, now I've opened the door to me feeling bad about all the other people I'm not calling. And is there truth to that? Like, is that, does that check? Because because if, if, it, if it isn't true, if it is okay to just call that one friend and say, okay, I did my part for today. Um, what's the motivation or the inspiration to do more? You know what I mean? That's where I start to get caught up in the whole I don't know, whatever you want to call it. The well, I think, well, if we're always looking and I mean, when first thought that I felt my, my, my shoulders went like this when you said that, like yeah, I yeah. collapsed because that pressure, that's a tall, I'd be looking at like, if I'm telling myself, Hey man, you better, you know, if you don't going to do it all, then the, that, you know, like the job will never be done. So if I'm always putting that message on myself, it's kind of like feeds into the, yeah, the never enough. That belief system is very important. This is kind of what we start to ferret out, whether you be a high performer or a dad like you or I, because if I believe until I do a thousand podcasts, until I, you know, do, then look at the weight. How are you going to feel the next time you hit record? 
oh man, I'm only a number a hundred of a thousand. Like it, it weighs us down. Whereas if I say, you know, yeah, I, I can set a goal. I can set a framework. I want to call three people per week. I want to be accountable. I want to do a certain amount. I'm going to commit. So commitments and accountability creates space to step into. But if I'm always just this automatic thought is coming in that is like, it's not enough. It's never enough. They're, you're right. We're taking the motivation away from ourselves. We're kind of, you know, shooting yourself in the proverbial foot. So whatever we do, you talked about to begin with, we're checking the app. We're doing the same thing. We're being selfish. We want to feel good. I want us to be selfish about your happiness, your sense of pride, ownership. Why shouldn't you be the most confident, proud father, you know, uh, leader of your family and community? Why shouldn't you get to feel that? And nobody needs, you know, who's taking accounting of our soul, right? I mean, this is, you know, only us really, right? Like, does it matter if you're, if you're, if you're, if your neighbor is Elon Musk and he has billions to do so, and, you know, I can't compete, mm. right? In that level. But, you know, maybe my place is to go be a T-ball coach and care about every kid in the team. Or maybe it's to be the guy who cares about the parents who show up and I, they don't look too well themselves. Maybe, you know, I don't know, but I'm constantly in that search for what can I do and where do I feel inspired, right? Sometimes it comes to you where you're like, oh, I could I could do more of that, um, you know, for a few years. Somebody came to me, they handed me a, a special needs basketball game. Great. For a few years, it was great. Then when it became, I'm the administrator, I got to, yeah. it doesn't, like, it didn't inspire me anymore. Yeah. So maybe it's somebody else's turn. Like yeah. we're not meant to just, so even that work of going, Hey, this thing that I did that was once good, or this one friend that I reached out, doesn't have to become a religion. It doesn't have to become a job. We, we are the owners of our own time and energy. So I think it's like a consistent flow of things that the more dynamic I am and putting myself out there to fill myself up at the same time, I'm going to be provided with opportunities to connect, yeah. play, engage, and so am I open? And what you described to me a little bit earlier in one of your questions was the blinders, the avoidance or the, the head in the sand. Remember, those are coping skills. Freud mm -hmm. called, you know, denial and avoidance. We do those for a reason. We do those to survive. If you and I sat here and really just listed on the screen all the things that are happening terrible in the world, you know, we would just go back on the pillow. So avoidance helps us survive, but it doesn't help us make a difference. You know. That's a powerful point. I think that's a really powerful point. That's, I, I think of it this way. I don't, I don't know if it's the right way or if you agree or if anybody does, but to me, I always want to acknowledge and really digest and accept a point like that, that like what you just said, right? If we sat here and listed everything going on in the world or everything we could be doing that would help people, it would literally destroy us. And there's an acceptance in that in a reality, which says, which I think it's very much back to the question I just asked and your answer to it, which is like, if, if you, if you make pretend that you're capable of solving all the world's problems or fixing all that stuff, you're obviously completely kidding yourself. Um, but there's also a reality of accepting of like, at the end of the day, I have to be somewhat selfish. I have to pick a line and say, yep, I'm going to go coach my kid's t-ball team. And that's how I'm going to connect and give back. I'm not going to go work at the soup kitchen this week. The people at the soup kitchen need help. They do. They're going to suffer. And I would benefit them if I went there, but I just can't. And I think for a lot of people, and maybe maybe myself very much included, that's a hard acceptance to say, I'm I'm in some ways, not literally, but kind of literally, I'm letting some people down because I have to, I can only do so much. And like, I think part of being a healthy, well-adjusted adult is being able to accept that fact and still move on and live with it. And that's hard though. That's hard for a lot of people. I mean, there's so many angles from what you just said. One, you know, the two concepts that are in my book, acceptance and, and surrender. I mm -hmm. do think there's just like a warrior battle, just like our favorite athletes on the field. There's a certain place. You know, I, I mean, again, you may be religious, not religious, but when you see the players take their helmets off and pray after the don't party, you go, oh, wait, weren't they just enemies? <laughs> weren't they just, how could the Jets and the Giants, what do you mean? They're joining and kneeling? What? So as a kid, you're like, this doesn't compute. But now we understand, right? Surrender, right? Surrendering to the battle means, right? I need time to connect. I need time to say, I'm just thankful to be in connection to you. And if I get this here right now, that doesn't mean that I can't say, you know what? Hey, Thanksgiving, Christmas, son, wife, hey, how about we go this year? Or this year we can't make it? 
this year if we can? Can we just save up from our bonus and give a hundred dollar donate? That's I know I'm still caring for the soup kitchen in the capacity that I can, and I know that I'm also making a difference in my daily life. So there is a degree of am I being compassionate to myself? Because our kids, our families pick up. If we walk in, it doesn't matter if we are running 18 charities, 18 business. How many men do I know like this? But if you're carrying around the burden and the anger and the stress and you're ready to explode, what are we conveying to our families, right? That they, in some level, need to be perfect, hold it all in, that they can't be. So how this affects our nervous system, right? And, and our emotional expression, our ability to be healthy within ourselves. So I really want to see that level of acknowledgement of self-care and monitoring, knowing that we have needs, knowing that we need things to be in relationship, that we have mental health needs, that we have physical needs, um, you know, and if those things are at the top of our plate, we're better apt to be able to give to the world. If we're just piling on uh, and staying in survival mode and adding more stressors, at some point, it's that you know, the straw that broke the camel back. And, and we see that now, right? With the intensity, the pressures and things getting harder in the world. So at some level, it seems incredibly basic. Hit the pause button, get back to breath, get back to basic movement, right? So no one else needs to know at your work, what is he doing? Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's taking a walk, he's breathing, right? My, my buddy, you know, he does pranayama, deep breathing on the train. I said, what do the people think? They think I'm just thinking. He's covering his forehead. <laughs> so, you know, so you know, Joe, Joe De Silva, who's the guy who created yeah. uh, Spartan, right? He's like, yeah, be in the airport. You know, nobody needs to know what you're doing when you're uh, in a two-minute plank there, just taking care of your, yourself. Your, your, any moment you get is an opportunity to take care of your body. So it's creative the way some individuals break down this um, self-monitoring, and they're like, no, I know I need to be healthy. Uh, because this is a gift I have for the world and I need to give it to myself first. Mm. And to your point, there's an acceptance to that, that that's just the truth. And there's a surrendering of if people are going to judge me for doing that. And okay, that's okay. And that happens to happen within them. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think, yeah, there's an element of like surrender to, I am the healthy, like if I say what's, what's the healthy spectrum between avoidance, denial, or being anxiety driven and, and constantly on edge of you know exactly what's happening in the world at all times and you're constantly being flooded with stressors and worries i think it is this ability to kind of like breathe slow down connect to what's important right the warriors from from battle used to come back in they would chant they would bang drums mm. when you go to other cultures when they've had psychologists go across the world to sudan mm. or rwanda they won't talk about trauma they won't use words but you get someone to start dancing they will all start dancing mm. and they'll express tremendous pain and they, they understand and relate to it because it's a manner of shared expression. So there's, you know, for different cultures, for different families, for, you know, and, and we're just such a world now of like so many different compositions of what makes a human being and where you come from. So to me, it's just getting that place of curiosity yeah. and you don't know, you really don't know if it's somebody on the train or if it's your friend from growing up. But if somebody shows me that, that they have that same openness and curiosity, I'm going to step into it. And my mm. kids may think I'm super embarrassing and annoying, but I know what I'm doing for me. <laughs> and, if they're, and if they're wearing a Giants uniform, even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Richard, I mean, I, firstly, I, I deeply enjoy this conversation. I mean, the ability to, to dive into some of these things and, and probe them and look at them from different angles and try and do it. What, what I always try and do, and I appreciate you and the insights you bring to it, is try and do it in a really practical way. And, and, and I think I bring that cynicism sometimes because I see that it is hard and I see that we all struggle with it. So trying to get that out here to where people can say like, okay, but here's where it's hard for me. And then hear the response to that. Maybe that helps them work through it. Um, so your, your ability to do that, I, I appreciate that a ton. And I think among other things, in the spirit of that, if somebody listening to this conversation, the takeaway for me is this stuff is hard. It's complicated. It's complex. The world is hard. Society's hard. Our own minds are hard. Cultures are like all this stuff. There's so many different factors involved in it. And I, you said the word at the end there, which I think I'll, I'll wrap at least my piece of it on is that curiosity. As long as you're looking and you're curious and you're wondering and you're taking that moment to reflect and question, you're not going to get it all right. You're still going to miss stuff because it's hard and it's, but it gives you a chance and it gives you an opportunity. And I think what you would say back to your value is if it gives you an opportunity to connect with someone, if that's part of the output that comes from it or the benefit, 
you're in pretty good shape. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I, I appreciate you a ton for being on and, and sharing. Thank you. Today. And I'd say in closing, I know you're at time as well, that when we meet resistance to not be afraid of it, that sometimes that resistance or what you're saying, if somebody reaches out to you and tells you it's hard, at least they're beginning mm. to tell you they're coming to meet you. Right. Uh, you know, in a lot of martial arts forms, right. What is, uh, kind of resisting energy becomes a way to flow with the energy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not all like you did today, playing the cynic, having a healthy debate, it is part of connection. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, right, even our, our conflicts, our little disagreements, if they lead to deeper understanding in our relationships, if they lead to greater, right, your kids saying to you, what do you mean? I want to be a technology all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. So these things can lead to greater exploration and to be mm -hmm. welcoming of that as opposed to getting triggered by the mere presence of resistance. Yeah. yeah. And that's true. Probably you know this as well as anybody in your own mind too. If you start to meet resistance in your own mind, where you start feeling, sometimes that's a good thing to lean into and say, Hey, what's going on there? What's happening? How can I work this? And right. I Where's a, where this prior conditioning come from? Where does this belief come from? Like it's not red sports car and 27 years old. I felt like it was a microchip. Yeah, it's like where who gave me this? So <laughs> by the way, and I know you probably you I was yeah, I was just gonna say it, so I'm glad you did it. Yeah. So the zero method, I, I was just gonna say that for people listening to this, feeling like, hey, I feel a little bit of hope here. I feel like there's an approach. Please check out the book. Um, check out Richard. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for sure. Um, because I think this is this is the stuff that I hope people consume more of, right? There's lots of good stuff out there. Maybe, maybe this isn't the one for you, maybe it is. But these types of conversations, the work you're doing, the book you've written, I think um, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefit. I'll put it in the in terms of the selfishness. But there's a lot of benefit even for ourselves in that. It's not just of for course. the greater good of the world. We want you. We want. Yeah. I want you to win. I want you to feel you're becoming the best version of you. If your goal is to get a promotion, if your goal is to have more love and harmony in your home, I want you to get it right. So. Um, and not everybody's goal is going to be the same, whether you're coming from a place of being young and single and if you're or you're 20 years married. Yep. So I will put this out here uh, as an offer to you. First of all, Kindle, Amazon uh, or on my social media get zero method. If there's a way you and I can collaborate, even do a four week group or something for men, people come to you. If they do reach out to your circle, there's ways for us to even use our synergy today to be further resource i'm open to it awesome. so um awesome. you know, i hope we can continue continue discussing and and i just appreciate you and your energy and, and the the challenge you brought to, me, <laughs> to my morning <laughs> that's awesome no that's that's great i definitely will do that and uh yeah i hope you have an awesome rest of your day all right all thanks right. Terry. thanks richard